0: Alright. Well, we've got a lot of people gone on vacation. I'll need some help, by the way, um, serving some of those who are in the classrooms, if you all don't mind, during communion. So, any, uh, any of you all want to help when we get there. So, I thought what I would do, since I, I knew uh, Bo and Dwayne both were going to be gone this weekend, and no small groups. I'd mentioned, and then we were going to do communion, I mentioned last week i would like to do a character study on barnabas it was like perfect week to do it so we're taking a break from acts 12 which is where we would have been we're still going to be mainly in acts though and we're going to do a quick look at barnabas the son of encouragement and then uh and then go into a time of communion so i'm actually excited to do this it's going to be a quick study i don't want to take too much time away from um, remembering and proclaiming the Lord's death, but um, this will lead very well into it. So, Before we get going, let's pray, if you would. Pray with me. Father, thank you for a time that we can, um, as your body here at Waypoint. Father, I know there's probably churches elsewhere throughout the city um, partaking of communion this morning, Father, and how significant an event it is for the church as it's one of the two ordinances given to us by which we would both remember and proclaim this in baptism. But Father, communion specifically for us focuses on that aspect of the salvation work by which the penalty of our sin was paid, whereas baptism remembers that aspect of the work by which we were justified through your resurrection. And so, Father, as Paul prayed and and encouraged us, exhorted us earlier, Father, may this be a time where we have confidence to confess our sin to you because that is why you shed your blood. That is why we can boldly proclaim and remember your death. That it was your good pleasure, the scriptures tell us. It was because of the joy set before you, the scriptures tell us, that you endured what you did in death. Father, that we would have no fear, Because the penalty has been paid, therefore we are no longer under condemnation. But we rejoice in the hope of your resurrection. So, Father, thank you for what this means to us. Father, for the study on Barnabas, as quick as it will be, Lord, encourage us, as this man was just such a wonderful man in Scripture, teach us, Father, may we, as Paul would tell several churches, Imitate me as I imitate the Lord. Father, may we see things in Barnabas' life worthy of imitation in our own because they represent Christ and they are Christ-like. So, Father, may you see fit to, to work this same character that we find in Barnabas into us. Father, we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. I told uh, our Tuesday night class several weeks ago that I'd read an illustration I was going to share with them that I didn't want them ever sharing until I got to preach. Remember that? Okay, good. I'm going to share that illustration this morning. It's perfect. And I don't know why, but you you hear all those illustrations about uh, someone dying and going to the pearly gates, and they find Peter there. It's one of those illustrations. So there's a man who died, and and he goes to heaven, and meets Peter at the pearly gates, and Peter's ready to let him in. And before the man goes in, he says, wait, I want to go to hell and just see what I'm missing, right, see see what I've been spared from. So Peter says, okay, I'll let you go for a little bit. So the man um, is taken down to the gates of hell, and the gates open up, and he's astonished to see in front of him a banqueting table. A massive banqueting table full of every kind of delicacy and uh, the man is astonished he doesn't he doesn't understand it but then he starts noticing that the patrons are I'll use Susie as an example they're in a body cast much like this and their arms are, are stretched out in a cast and they can't bend them and so they can grab these delicacies but they can't feed themselves and they're in torment, they're in anguish, and it's just perpetual. And this man tours and he sees these, these people miserable, not able to partake of the banquet. And so he tells Peter, I've had enough, take me back. Peter brings him back up into heaven, asks him, are you ready to go in now? He says, yes, I'm ready. So he opens the pearly gates, and what does he find? He finds another banqueting table, and he finds the people in the exact same situation, in a full body cast, unable to bend their arms and feed themselves but he's also astonished at something there's joy there's happiness because he's told these people are in heaven because on earth they learn not to feed themselves but to feed each other and so while they couldn't feed themselves they could partake of the banquet because they were feeding each other it's a beautiful illustration of the heart of the church right We care for one another, and that's our joy. And so when we can't care for ourselves in the way that most people would want to, it's okay. We have a body that loves us and will help us. That reminds me of who Barnabas must have been to the church. Every time we see him in the pages of Acts or in the epistles, several epistles he's mentioned in, he's serving the church. So he's worthy to consider who he was. We're going to look briefly at things that he did and aspects of his character that are revealed in Scripture this morning as we go through this, okay? And there's not really going to be one text. This is all, I've got references in here. It's all out of Acts except for a few quotes out of of some of the epistles he's mentioned in. But more, just this morning, listen Um, to some of the things that Scripture identifies in this man. okay. As some background info, first of all, Barnabas, if you didn't know, is a key figure in the early church. His name is actually mentioned no less than 29 times in the New Testament. That's an average of more than once per book that's in the New Testament. There's 26 books in the New Testament. 24 of those times are in the book of Acts. There's one time he's mentioned in 1 Corinthians, three times in the book of Galatians, and once in the book of Colossians. Additionally, outside of the apostles Peter, John, and Paul, and then James, the Lord's brother, there's no more significant figure identified in the early church. Obviously, Paul, in the book of Acts, is is probably the primary figure for the bulk of the chapters. Peter, second to that, John is mentioned several times, and James is seen as key figures, the head of the church in Jerusalem. But Barnabas is in all of those. He's everywhere where those guys are. And he's influential even upon the apostles, which is an interesting aspect to consider. He's mentioned from the very inception, very early inception of the beginning of the church's birth. Barnabas was actually not his name. His name is Joseph. Barnabas was the name given to him no less by the Apostles. That's significant. It was the Apostles who saw the character of this man and said, you are an encourager. The prefix bar always means son of. So when you see, um, for instance, Jesus says, blessed are you, Simon bar Jonah, right? He says, Simon, son of Jonah. So uh, nabas means encouragement. So, son of encouragement. That's how you break it down. It was given to him by the apostles themselves. That point to me is huge, right? That's actually what Acts 4.36 says. How encouraging would it be for the apostles of the church to give you that title? But how clear must your character have been to have received that title, right? So... Let's look at some more uh, aspects. One, he's mentioned as the example of sacrificial giving. If you remember in Acts chapter 4, Luke makes a general statement about people were selling things that they had and giving it, laying it at the apostles' feet for those who had need in the early church. Well, Barnabas is the one mentioned as an example of that. He was a Levite. He sold a large piece of property for a large sum and came and presented it. At the feet of the apostle. And then it moves immediately into chapter 5 and contrasts Ananias and Sapphira with Barnabas. So Barnabas is put forward as the example of sacrificial, generous giving. He's also mentioned as the one convincing the Jerusalem church and the apostles of Paul's sincerity and conversion. If you remember that in Acts chapter 9, when Paul came to Jerusalem after several years, they didn't receive him right away, and the apostles were included. They were skeptical. They thought Paul was trying to infiltrate so as to destroy the church. Well, who was it that was empathetic, both to Paul's situation, but convincing and persuasive to the early church? It tells us a lot about Barnabas. He had the year of the apostles. He was trusted by the apostles. His discernment and wisdom would have been considered. Right? And what's even more interesting to me, in Lystra, when on their first missionary journey in Acts 14, 12, uh, Barnabas is actually called Zeus, whereas uh, Paul is called Hermes. Now, I did a little research on Zeus and Hermes in Greek mythology. Of the two Greek gods, guess who's the greater one? (laughs) Zeus! Hermes was actually a son of Zeus and a messenger between God and men. Where Zeus was, was the king of all gods as well as the king of men, and ruled Mount Olympus, where all the gods resided. What does that tell you about what they saw in Barnabas over Paul? Pretty significant figure, right? Although um, Luke does tell us in that chapter that they called Paul Hermes because he was the chief spokesman, which was why, what Hermes was. But nonetheless, that they would even consider comparing Barnabas to Zeus... Tells you something. Now this is, obviously, in that chapter, Barnabas and Saul, uh, Paul reacted strongly and said, Don't do this, right? Don't worship us. But there's something about Barnabas' character that struck a chord with these men because Zeus was a significant figure in this way. He was, he was the one always trying to work peace among men. He was the justice worker among men. And so for them to see those aspects and quality of character in Barnabas, it was a natural association in their mind, even though it was idolatry, right? So that again tells us who this man was everywhere he went. He was in a Greek city, and he was a Levite, but these Greeks could see him and say, wow, he actually reminds us of Zeus, So let's look at several aspects of things that Barnabas was involved in in the early church. It just are tremendous aspects that I pray we embody as well at Waypoint. First, Barnabas we see in Acts 11 last week, if you want to turn there. Many of these references, by the way, are out of Acts 11, which is kind of cool because it doesn't stop at Acts 11. Let me say it this way. Luke lays out some of these aspects for us of who Barnabas is and, and what he did in Acts 11. But when you trace him out through the rest of the book, it's the same stuff. Okay? So I've only referenced, for instance, 11.22 here. But you can find this everywhere of him. He, was, he worked to remove difficulties in the early church. Last week we looked at how Antioch received the gospel. Significant Roman city, third largest Roman city. Much idolatry, much sin there. But they receive the gospel. They send Barnabas down, and what's he do? He sees the grace of God, and he rejoices with them. And then he's, he immediately moves to encourage them. So he was gentle with some of their rough edges. It is so easy for us as, as churches, um, in fact, I was just talking to people yesterday about this, um, for people who come amongst our body and they uh they don't quite fit in, or they don't do things like we've done to be rough with them. In fact, we were at jill's cousin's uh, husband's birthday party last night, and, and her uncle was telling me about a story of a pastor who dressed like a like a poor, homeless guy and asked to join just join the church and be a part of the church, see what's going on and he kept pressing him. it was the leadership of this church kept telling him, "No, you need to leave, you need to leave." he said, "But I want to see what's going on here and they, they wouldn't at first let him even come into the church and they finally consented to, okay, you can sit in the front row, but don't make a scene, and after it's done, you need to get out of here. Well, come to find out, they had been in search of a new pastor, and when the leadership got up to introduce the new pastor, that bum got up in the pulpit and said, we've got some work to do. It's a good illustration. Barnabas was that kind of person, though, who would say, you know what, I'm not going to be a hindrance to these people, I'm going to work to to smooth these rough edges. He also, we're told in in Acts 11, that, that it was the church at Jerusalem sent Barnabas down there. He had the confidence of the church toward delicate work. And this was a delicate work because it was the uniting of the Jew and Gentile world. This would have taken a man full of character, full of humility, full of love, full of wisdom. And they sent him Tells you so much about who Barnabas was. But he was willing to go. He was willing to insert himself to be one who created peace. Right? That's key. We're also told in Acts 15 that he was a key figure in the Jerusalem Council. In Acts 15. It's it's such an important chapter. We're not there yet. But they revisit this issue of, of do the Gentiles have to be circumcised to be part of the church? The Jerusalem Council took place after Paul and Barnabas 's first missionary journey. They traveled all over the Greek world, and thousands and thousands and thousands of Greeks came to Christ. And so as Paul and Barnabas forcefully arguing to for the apostles in the church in Jerusalem, "No, they don't." And they maintained that line of grace and actually persuaded upon. The apostles toward that. We also see Barnabas constantly helping believers. I'm gonna throw a former member up under our bus because I know he listens to our sermon still. Our up-and-coming scholar Dylan Gunter, if you remember Dylan, I was talking to him on the phone this week for quite a while, for just over an hour. And he made a point here. He said, you know what we usually do. in in the church is we try to schedule in Kingdom activities, right? Things that the church is about rather than orchestrating our life around the kingdom of God and filling in where we can with other activities. Just exactly what Jesus said, right? Seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. That's what Barnabas is constantly seen doing. Everywhere he's at in the book of Acts or elsewhere, He's seeking the kingdom of God. He's seeking to build up believers, help them in whatever way. In Acts 11, we see him encouraging the young in Christ. This is somewhere that we can all get involved in. You don't have to be a scholar to be encouraging. If there's someone young in the faith, or even some of our young children, you older ones, you know what? Rather than than us getting frustrated with them, which I'm not saying we are, but it's easy to get frustrated with them. How about this? Let's take them and say, hey... You know, why don't you come help me? Pass out donuts or whatever, right? Encourage them, be an influence in their life. Any one of us can do that. Barnabas sought those opportunities. He encouraged the young in Christ. He cooperated with Paul in the gifts that were given by the Gentile church to Antioch as a steward, right? They, entr- they took up an offering for the famine and entrusted it to Barnabas and Paul to take to Jerusalem and spread out. He was a steward of the church's resources he 's trustworthy, but he 's helping he wants to help relief relieve some of the stress of the famine and third, I noted there, he had gladness and rejoiced, uh, I should say not and grace manifested at the grace manifested in those believers you know it's so one of the things for for young Christians is they don 't know theology yet they don 't know. They, oftentimes, they're still formulating a Christian worldview. And when they see someone who they perceive as, as a good person, as someone grounded in the faith, and they're encouraging me, that goes a long way in their hearts and minds. I can remember several people. I, I'll just be honest with you. I, I know I'm a pastor now. I was terrified to, to be put in front of other Christians because I was so ignorant. I really was. I didn't want people to know how ignorant I was. But there were certain men in my life who would encourage me and reaffirm what Christ was doing in me. That's a Barnabas. They're helping establish you in the faith. Be that way toward each other, right? Plug in. It's hard to encourage someone if you don't know what's going on in their life, number one. So get to know what's going on in each other's lives and plug in. Just be someone who rejoices at what God is doing, however small it might seem to us, it might be significant in their life. And vice versa. We see Barnabas in every chapter he's mentioned in, uh, through chapter 15 of Acts, working to win souls. First he discipled many, and many were added to the Lord. We're told that in uh, Acts 11 in Antioch. But it's also visible in, in his first missionary journeys. Every city he and Paul went to, they preached the gospel to the people. And then many were added to the Lord, and what would they do? Disciple them and teach them. Ground them in the faith. So we can't really pigeonhole ourselves as, well, I'm not an evangelist. I'm, not a, I'm, I'm a disciple maker. I'm not a disciple, or I'm more of an evangelist. Barnabas did all of it, right? We might be more gifted in one area over the other, but we should be doing it all. I've had this conversation with a lot of people with spiritual gifts where, well, I don't have the gift of mercy. But I don't have the right to conclude that I don't need to be merciful. I don't have the right to tee off on people, right? I've got to practice mercy even though I might not be spiritually, that might just not exude out of me. I still need to be merciful. Same thing. Barnabas worked to bring people to Christ. We're told in Antioch, In chapter 13 that actually Paul and Barnabas will be the first recognized missionaries being sent out by the Lord it's not just Paul the Holy Spirit said separate for me Paul and Barnabas how significant Barnabas was they were a team and they went all over the place in their first missionary journeys he was a missionary preaching the gospel Proverbs 11:30 says this: "He who wins souls is wise." We can remember that. Not only was he a missionary; he enlisted workers. We're told in Acts 9:27 when Paul came to Jerusalem, as well as in Acts 11 when he went to seek out Paul to help at Antioch. Right? He came along Saul twice to enlist him. Get help me. There's work to be done, and you're called. Come help me. He also recruited, we're told, John Mark in, in Acts 12.25, which is actually, uh, according to Colossians 4.10, John was Barnabas' cousin, which will become a significant relationship you guys know of. So Barnabas was a well-rounded worker in every way. He was an encourager. He he was an evangelist. He was a discipler. He enlisted workers. This is one of the biggest points for me is, hey, for you older ones mature in the Lord, grab someone. If you're busy in a ministry or busy some some way in the church, grab hold of them and say, hey, come help me. Get people plugged in. You don't have to be invited to do that. (laughs) And we don't have to program that. Just, hey, Paul, Paul rearranged all these chairs and set up the table grab someone to help you do that grab someone to help you take. just get busy enlist workers we've talked about that point so i'll move on but let's look at some of barnabas's character real quick and this will be fairly quick first of all we're told in acts 11:24 that he was full of the spirit and this really is the base of all of his fruit bearing character he was full of the spirit of god there is no fruit bearing character apart from being filled with the spirit Barnabas was so fruitful first because he constantly was full of God's Spirit. As we, we did a quick study on this early on in Acts. You're baptized in the Spirit once, you're filled many times. We are, we are to constantly seek to be filled with God's Spirit each and every day as we go through the day. That is the only way we as Christians bear fruits. It's the only way we overcome sin in our life. It's the only way the flesh is overcome. Paul said it in Galatians 5. If you walk in the Spirit... You're not going to feel, fulfill the lust of the flesh. Barnabas was full of the Spirit constantly. Consequently, we're told in Acts 4, he was generous. We quoted that earlier. He didn't hold anything back when he saw need. If he could meet the need, even if it required loss on his end, he did it. He was empathetic. I've, I'm learning what empathy is. I'll just be honest. I knew what sympathy was. I'm not sure I've always been very empathetic empathy means this you put yourself in someone else's shoes and feel what they're feeling That's hard for me it's Just being honest Barnabas when Saul was not received by the disciples in Jerusalem He was empathetic. It was him who went to them and said hey I Saw what, what Saul did. I know who he was at first. Yes, But I also saw him preach the gospel boldly at Damascus. I saw his baptism. I know who this man is. He was empathizing with Saul there. He was clear-sighted, that's clear, no pun intended. He had discernment, he saw situations clearly, he could make good decisions, biblical decisions. For instance, in Acts 11, when he saw that Antioch was exploding with disciples, he knew he was gonna need help. Instead of going down to Jerusalem and enlisting those apostles, he went and got Saul up at Tarsus. I love that point. He was selfless. And I intentionally didn't put any scripture reference there because you can almost see it in every scripture reference he's referenced in. He's just a selfless man. He sought first the kingdom of God. He was always serving. He was sacrificial. And that's different than being generous, right? different than being generous a lot of us can give out of abundance but jesus made a distinction of giving out of abundance versus giving out of sacrifice he was sacrificial not only with his possessions but with his own life he served and served and served and he was full of faith man he needed it in the situations he was constantly put in he had to have complete trust in the lord to be with him and go before him every step of the way he was full of faith But last of all, he was also human. Turn with me to Galatians. Let's turn there. And this is a comforting point going into communion. As clear as it is in Scripture that Barnabas was truly an exceptional Christian, he was also human. In Galatians chapter 2, we have an account recorded where not only uh, Peter played the hypocrite, but he led many people into hypocrisy. Read with me Galatians chapter 2 verse 11. So remember, we're, this is where we're at in Acts, right? The church at Antioch. Barnabas had just brought Saul up to Antioch. Um, they ministered there for over a year. At some point during that year, Cephas, who was Peter, came down to Antioch. And Paul opposed him to his face because he stood condemned. For before certain men came from James, which is the church at Jerusalem, Peter was eating with the Gentiles. So before, before certain circumcised men came down from the church at Jerusalem to check on what's happened in Antioch, Peter would eat with the Gentiles. But when these men showed up, it says when they came, he drew back and separated himself, fearing the circumcision party. So he's playing the hypocrite. It's okay for me to hang out with you Gentiles. Oh wait, circumcision party. I can't can't talk to you right now. And guys, Peter had just been with Cornelius. He was the one who initiated this. And he still fell into that kind of hypocrisy. It shows you the power of legalism, even over Peter's life. He still wrestled with those issues. But what's the rest of the text say? Look at verse 13. And the rest of the Jews acted hypocritically along with him, so that even who... Even Barnabas was led astray by their hypocrisy. He was human. He was not without sin. He's mentioned with Cephas and the others as being a hypocrite. But he was used by the Lord greatly. The encouragement is this. We're about to celebrate communion and proclaim communion. It is because of the work of Christ. Despite our sin, even hypocrisy... The Lord will use us, right? And so as we go into this time of communion, you can turn with me to 1 Corinthians 11. We're going to read this passage, and Paul alluded to to many of these things earlier when he spoke about how serious a time this is. In 1 Corinthians 11, verse 17, beginning there. Paul wrote, but in the following instructions, I do not commend you, because when you come together, it is not for the better, but for the worse. For in the first place, when you come together as a church, I hear that there are divisions among you. First of all, there's divisions. It can't be that way in the church. Where division may crop up, and they will, we've seen that already a few times in the church. We must work quickly to resolve. Right, So that we maintain, as Paul wrote in Ephesians 4, the unity of the Spirit. We are brothers and sisters, as Paul mentioned. And we are to love each other. There's going to be differences, but you know what? Love overcomes even that. There's divisions among you, and I believe it in part. Verse 19, for there must be factions among you in order that those who are genuine among you may be recognized. When you come together, it is not the Lord's Supper that you eat. It might have been what they thought they were doing, but as Paul said, if our heart's not right, this doesn't mean anything. That's basically what Paul just told the Corinthian church. You're not really partaking in the Lord's Supper. I know that's what you're calling it. That's not the purpose or the heart of the Lord's Supper. Why? Verse 21, for an eating, each one goes ahead with his own meal. One goes hungry, another gets drunk. What? Do you not have houses to eat and drink in? Or do you despise the church of God and humiliate those who have nothing? What shall I say to you? Shall I commend you in this? No, I will not. So first, it's a time of sharing together. But it's also a time of self-judgment. Look at verse 27 and following. Whoever therefore eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty concerning the body and blood of the Lord. Let a person examine himself then, and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For anyone who eats and drinks without discerning the body, eats and drinks judgment on himself. That is why many of you are weak and ill, and some have died. But if we judged ourselves truly, we would not be judged. But when we are judged by the Lord, we are disciplined, so that we may not be condemned along with the world the time of self-judgment, it's the time of reflection. And it's a serious time of reflection because the Lord's Supper is to be, to proclaim not only His death on account of our sins, but so that we might not walk in them anymore. And so it's a time where, Lord, I'm convicted about whatever in my life. I confess that to You. By Your grace, help me turn from it. Help my mind be changed, which is where true repentance always starts. And then my actions help me turn. So we'll give you guys time to, to self-reflect, to judge yourself first before you partake. We want to partake in holiness. Why? Because that's why Christ died. So that we might be holy. But third, it's a time to remember the Lord's sacrifice. Verse 23 and following. For I receive from the Lord what, what I also delivered to you. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread... And when he had given things, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. So we remember his torn body, and we remember his shed blood. This is the hard ordinance. It's the the difficult ordinance to remember because it always brings us back to why he died. He died that my sin might be forgiven, that I might be cleansed. But it is also not just a remembrance, but a proclamation of his death, which is the basis of our hope. Verse 26, for as often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Now notice, you proclaim the death until he comes. He's alive, right? He's alive, and He's coming back. But He died first. The death preceded the resurrection. So if you, if you have not partaken in communion, it might be a little different than, than how you've done it elsewhere. This is a self-serving table. Um, I would encourage, um, you know, men, if you want to serve your wives, you can do that. I'll need some help serving those serving. And uh, I'd also like to serve maybe Susie and, and Silva here. Because you've only got... Uh... <laughs> so we'll get some help. But spend some time in prayer. And, and go before the Lord. And if you need to confess anything, confess it. And when you're ready, you're welcome to come, come at your own time. Okay? There's, there's not a prescribed time or, or anything. And then we're going to follow with a, with a few last songs. Okay? So spend some time in prayer.